beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, have, if you ever find yourself in an unfamiliar place, sure is nice to have a guide with you. Imagine you're out in the wilderness, you're not familiar with the land, without some kind of guide or a map or a compass, it's easy to get lost. Or imagine you're in a, a, a different city, you've never been there before, it's easy to get lost as you drive through the city streets, but a GPS or a person who knows the city can guide you to the right place. Oh, beloved, this afternoon we're studying God's providence. We confess that God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power. It's that power whereby God directs all things in this world so that nothing happens to us by chance. All things are sent to us by God's fatherly hand. And this providential power of God is our God. It acts as a guide for us in the Christian life. And I mean that in two different senses. First of all, the reality of God's providential power guides us in how we think about the Christian life and our experiences in this life. God's providence guides our thinking about God. It guides how we live in relationship to God. It affects our decision and impacts how we pray. It guides us in ways of faith and trust. And the second way God's providence guides us is that God, by His power, leads us through this life. As Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, In his heart a man plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. You see, it's so easy for us weak, sinful people to get things wrong, to go off the right path. In many ways, we're like that person traveling through unknown wilderness, like that person in a new city, unsure exactly how to get to our destination. But God, by His gracious providence, directs us in the right path. He leads us through this broken life with all of its troubles, and He is guiding us to Himself. That brings us then to the sermon theme, which this afternoon is this, God's providence guides me in the Christian life, guides all of us in the Christian life. We'll look at, first of all, the, ex- the extent of God's providence. We'll, second of all, we'll look at prayer and God's providence Finally, we'll look at uh, trusting in God's providence. So, first of all, the extent of God's providence. Now, Lord's Day 10 describes God's providence like this. God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, Fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Now, that is quite the list there in Lord's Day 10. Notice how comprehensive it is. Rain and drought. 
fruitful and barren years, health and sickness, all things come to us by God's fatherly hand. And that's the extent of God's providence. It covers all things in life. And this teaching, it comes to us uh, straight out of Scripture. Consider only what we read from 1 Kings 16 and 17. Uh, There's numerous examples of God's providence throughout these chapters. Uh, First of all, when Hile of Bethel rebuilt Jericho, it cost him his oldest and youngest son. This is is exactly what God said would happen through Joshua uh, so many years before. God was true to His Word, brought it about. And we come to 1 Kings 17, Elijah came to Ahab, declared there would be no dew nor rain except by His command. Word of the Lord through Elijah came true. There was no rain, no dew, except by the Word of the Lord. Rain and drought, fruitful and barren years. They come by God's providential power. In fact, every drop of rain that has ever fallen on this earth in the history of the world, every snowflake that has fallen this winter is guided by the hand of God. We see more in this passage. God then told Elijah to hide himself by the brook Cherith. And there God provided for Elijah in an amazing way. He said, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. And then it says, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. So again, the birds too, they are in the hand of God. As our Lord Jesus says, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of your heavenly Father. And think about uh, this example. It's quite remarkable. These are ravens, scavenger birds. Ordinarily, ravens would gobble up this food themselves. A bread and meat to a raven is the equivalent of a gourmet meal. Here they are, not eating it themselves. They're bringing it to Elijah by God's command. Now, after the water in the brook dried up, God instructed Elijah to travel to Zarephath of Sidon. The Lord said, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, we should not think by this that the Lord had already spoken directly to this widow. It doesn't appear to be the case at all as you read the chapter. Rather, God commanded her in the sense of appointing her to feed Elijah. By his hidden providential command, God determined that this widow, uh, or he would provide through this widow. And certainly the Lord did provide by His power. Here was a destitute widow on the verge of starvation. All she had was a small bit of flour, a little bit of oil in a jug. And yet, the Lord sustained the flour and the oil to give them food for months. Again, God's providence, His power over all creation, sustaining this flour, sustaining this oil, to give them food. There's one more thing we see in this passage. 
Sometime later, the widow's son became sick. Eventually, he died. And yes, this too, this too was in God's providence. Elijah himself acknowledged this in his prayer to God. And we confess in Lord's Day 10 that, yes, health and sickness too, there are things that our Heavenly Father sends us in this life. And we find this in other parts of Scripture too. Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2, for example, she said, the Lord both kills and brings to life. Right? Life, its beginning and its end, is in God's hands. God is sovereign over all, all those difficult things too. What is more, Scripture says that God is sovereign even when people act wickedly. For example, Peter says in Acts 2, Jesus was delivered up to death according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So God, by His mysterious, powerful providence, He brought about the crucifixion of His Son, even using the wicked actions of men to work out that plan. Now, how does that work? How, how does that work, God's providence in these things too? Well, we cannot fully fathom the work of God, of course, but a few things must be said about this. First of all, while we acknowledge that God is sovereign over all things, including when people, you know, wicked people crucify Jesus, he works differently in those moments than with other acts of providence. For example, in 1 Kings 17, it says God commanded the ravens to feed Elijah. That was an act of God's providence. But God in no way, shape, or form commands people to do what is evil. He simply does not. And in this vein, I appreciate what one of the main authors of the Catechism, Zachary uh, Ursinus, what he wrote about this. This quote is a little bit long, but I believe it's worth sharing. He said this, is clearly evident from what has now been said, that all things, the evil as well as the good, the small as well as the great, are directed and governed by the providence of God, yet in such a way that those things which are good are done not only according to, but also by divine providence as the cause. That is, by God willing, commanding, and effecting them. While those that are evil, as far as they are evil, are not done by, but according to divine providence, that is, not by, not by God willing, commanding, effecting or furthering them, but by permitting them and directing them to their appointed ends. Indeed, that's a good way of looking at it. That's the message of Scripture. God is sovereign over all things. That brings us to our uh, next point. So, as we just saw, God's providence, it covers all things. Seeing that, I want to draw our attention to a question that sometimes arises in this matter. Well, how does God's providence fit with prayer? Some people argue that if God is sovereign over all things, prayer becomes a useless exercise. Uh, after all, God is working out all things according to the purpose of His will 
already. But we know, of course, that that is faulty reasoning. The answer is that our prayers weave seamlessly together with God's providence. Consider only again 1 Kings 17. Elijah spoke to Ahab, saying, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. What's not immediately apparent from this chapter, however, is how prayer played a role in this. Listen to what James 5, verses 16 and 17 says about this. It says, "...the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth." The long-lasting drought was completely in God's hands the entire time. Yet James tells us that it came about also through the fervent prayer of Elijah. Imagine that. Three and a half years without rain. God brought it about through the prayers of a human. The same thing occurred at the end of the drought. After the showdown between Baal and Yahweh on Mount Carmel, uh, Elijah prayed again. He prayed for God to send rain this time. He bowed himself down on the earth. He put his face between his knees. He prayed to the Lord. And then he sent his servant to look towards the sea to see if there was any sign of rain. The servant returned, telling him there was nothing. And seven times Elijah prayed, and after the seventh time, the servant returned, saying, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And in a little while, the the sky grew black with clouds, the wind grew as well, and there came a great rain upon the earth. God provided again through Elijah's prayer. It's the same thing for us believers today. God uses our prayers in the unfolding of his plan. God uses our prayers and how he works by his providence in this world. We find a similar scenario described in the book of Revelation. Revelation 8, an angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. What happened next? It says the angel took the censer, he filled it with fire from the altar, he threw it down on the earth. What is the symbolism behind this? Well, the message is that the prayers of God's people result in powerful answers from heaven. God responds to the prayers of his people. He uses them in a powerful way to impact world events. That's true of our prayers too, beloved. You see, it's God's providence, his power that 
It gives us confidence in prayer. It gives us confidence to know that God has the power to give us what we ask of Him. He can answer them in astounding ways, even in ways we never thought possible. Consider what Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. That is God's power, His almighty, ever-present power that gives us a courage when we pray. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And this power of God, it's not limited only to someone like the prophet Elijah. Remember what James 5 stated? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That is to say, God may use our prayers in a similar way to how he used the prophet Elijah's prayers. See, it didn't depend on Elijah himself. It depended on God and his power. It doesn't depend on us, first and foremost. It depends on God and His power. So let me encourage you in light of God's almighty, His ever-present power, to pray. Know your powerful God. Trust in Him. Pray to Him for everything you need for body and soul. Pray for big things. Pray in faith knowing that By His power, God can give you what you ask of Him. Remember, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That brings us to our last point. So, beloved, God's providence, it covers all things in life. All things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. And this truth, it calls us to trust. Trust in the Lord no matter what. And we are to trust in God and His providence in two main ways. We trust God, first of all, as the ultimate source of every blessing. Think of this long drought and famine in the time of Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Why would God send such a terrible famine and and drought on the land? Well, one reason God did this was to show his power over false gods, to bring his people back to him. Israel at this time was worshiping Baal. Baal was considered the storm god, and how ironic is that? Baal, the storm god, could not give one drop of rain to thirsty Israel. He was powerless, and Israel needed to know that. They needed to know that Baal was useless. Their blessing came from the Lord, who was in control of all things. And think of what the Lord did here. In the midst of a harsh, prolonged drought, he used the unlikeliest candidate to provide food, a poor Gentile widow. But that is God's power. And that's why it's so important to know about God's providential power. 
see, our hearts too are prone to idolatry. We so easily seek our well-being in other things. And when we go through hardships, it's a reminder that our well-being does not ultimately come through created things. It comes through the Lord. See, it is true that God normally uses created means to provide for us. He uses your job. He may use the money in your bank account, things like that. But so often we begin to trust in those things. We begin to trust the means that God uses rather than God himself. Here in 1 Kings 17, the Lord used a starving widow to provide. It's a message to all Israel. It's a message to us that the Lord is our provider. Don't trust the means first and foremost. Trust in God who uses them. As we sang earlier, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So that's the first way that God's providence calls us to trust. We trust in God as our ultimate provider. There's another way God's providence calls us to trust. God calls us to trust Him through the difficult times in life. Remember, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, health and sickness come to us by God's fatherly hand. And it's much easier to trust when you are going through those good times, when you have fruitful years, when you have plenty of health. It's not so easy to trust when you have those harder times. Take this widow of Zarephath. She had trusted in the Lord, and she had trusted the word of the Lord. She made a cake for Elijah before making one for her and her starving son, trusting what God had said would come true. And the Lord was true to his word. The widow was given her daily bread. But despite her act of faith, her trust in God's word, sometime after this, disaster struck. Her son grew sick and died. What a loss this was, and what a difficult act of God's providence. She had already lost her husband to death earlier in life, and this was her only child. Now he died too. Not only was it incredibly sad, but it was also incredibly dangerous for her in a sense. Without a husband, she would have a hard time making ends meet. The miracle of the flour and oil had already come to an end. Her son would be the one to work and provide, but now he was gone. She was left to struggle in a dog-eat-dog Gentile world all by herself. And one of the things that makes this so difficult is that it feels like she is being punished. That's what it would feel like. And that, after she acted in faith uh, on the word of the Lord. Indeed, it seems the woman felt herself that way. She expressed that as much to Elijah. 
She said, you have come to, to me to bring my sin to remembrance to cause the death of my son. And we might ask if we were to go through this, you know, where is God's compassion? Where is his love as he forgotten to be gracious? Beloved, we need to be very careful when we experience difficult acts of God's providence. We need to be very careful about what sort of conclusions we make about God. We need to be very careful about how we interpret painful acts of God's providence. You see, interpreting God's providence is tricky business indeed. Think of Job's friends who came to him after they heard about his troubles And they were trying to interpret God's providence. They essentially said to him, Well, we know God punishes the wicked, Job. Look at all this stuff that's happened to you. You must have done something wrong. What they didn't understand is that God's providence is not our Bible. We don't always know God's purposes and events that happen, also very difficult ones. And when we try to interpret God's providence, we can easily get it wrong. It's because we are not God. Instead, we turn to God's Word, and yes, the Bible does instruct us some of the reasons why we go through suffering. God does use it to refine us. He does use it to purge uh, sin from us. But he uses it to make us rely on him more. He uses it to make us humble. He uses it to make us long for heaven and our life of perfection that is coming with him. But we still can't see the entire big picture of God's hidden purposes in those events. Remember, God's providence is not our Bible. And if we were only to go by this event in the life of this widow, we, what, what, what might we conclude? Well, we might conclude that God did not love her, that he was punishing her, or simply had it out for her. But what was the reality? Reality was not a speck of that was true. See, how do we make conclusions about God and his love and compassion, we make them based on what God says in his word. We make those conclusions based on God's promises, which do not change. No matter what may happen to us in this life, God's promises do not change. We make conclusions about God based on the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want an example, think of Jesus' miracle in Luke 7. It's similar to 1 Kings 17. Jesus approached the gate of a town called Nain. As he came close, a funeral procession came out of the town. It was a young man who died, the only son of his widowed mother, much like 1 Kings 17. What does it say about Jesus when he saw her, those weeping? He had compassion on her. Compassion. He said to the woman, Do not weep. And he stopped the procession and he raised 
the young man to life again. See, God's providence must be viewed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the very Son of God. He shows us what God is like. And if Jesus had compassion on this poor widow in Luke 7 who lost her only son, you'd be sure that God had compassion on this believing widow in 1 Kings 17, even though we don't read it in the text. And that's true even though God, by His providence, brought about the death of her son in the first place. See, God calls us to trust His promises, no matter what we might go through in this life. His promises do not change, even though our circumstances might. And so it calls for patience. As Lord Say 10 puts it, we can be patient in adversity. With a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. See, for us who believe in Jesus Christ, God is directing our lives. He's directing us to that glorious day of resurrection. A life of suffering and sorrow will give way to one of joy and peace that will last forever. God is directing us to that end. We get a glimpse of that reality here in 1 Kings 17. God, by His power, raised His child to life again. God will guide us to that time of resurrection. God's own Son, Christ Jesus, died as well. He died on the cross to pay the punishment of death in our place. And like this widow's son, God raised His own Son from the grave again. It's that resurrection of Christ that secures God's love for us. It secures our future resurrection. God is guiding us so that if we die before Christ returns one day too, we will enjoy that glorious resurrection and eternal life. Amen.